Oh, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Oh, it's so good to see all of you here. And happy to be able to open God's Word and see what He has planned for all of us. First, I want to ask about decisions. When was the last time you had to make kind of an agonizing decision? You know, a really tough decision. For our family, it was last night, you know, Saturday night, thinking, what are we going to have for dinner? Nobody wanted to cook, couldn't agree on what to have, and it just felt like an agonizing decision. But, guys, we accomplished it. We figured it out. We had burgers, uh, which I was pleased with. But, I mean, those are the small things. But, honestly, like, in life, there's a lot of big decisions. Like, those decisions that come our way. It's part of being an adult, right? The first decision I think you, you kind of make in an adult is, like, what do you do after high school? You know, do, you, do you get a job? Do you go to college? And if so, where do you go? What college to go to? That's a big decision. You have to think about your career, too, like major and career. What do you want to do? And then jobs. What kind of job do you want to have? And once you get a job, then you have that decision of, like, how long do I stay in this job before I move on somewhere else? There's where to live, you know, what city or state, or do you rent or do you buy? Do you buy a house? It's decisions about purchases, cars, and things like that. All big decisions. Then you, get, you keep moving and you think about your future and you think, okay, do I get married or do I stay single? And if I get married, who do I marry? It's all that, the dating and all the decisions that go with that. And then if you get married, then it's, what do you do with kids? Do we have kids? How many kids? Do we, have, uh, do we adopt? Do we have foster kids? Do we have our own? And then there's just, from that point on, just a million other decisions that come our way, right? We have experienced that. We know what it's like. But the question is, how do we make these decisions. How do you make them? A lot of people, we think about a few things, like we think about money, right? That's a big factor in our decisions. How much does it cost or how much will I earn from it? So is it worth it? That's, that's fair. There's time. How much time will it take or how much time will I get? That kind of thing. That's a fair question. But there's also other things like prestige. What will people think of me? How will they view me with this? Or even fear. Sometimes we make decisions on fear. We're scared of doing something, so we just we go this way. But as Christians, is that how we make decisions? Is that all there is to it? Well, as we see in Scripture, there's another thing that we look at, and that is considering God's will. What is God's will? God's will is something I didn't really think about when I was in high school. I don't even know if, I don't, maybe they taught about it. I just didn't pick it up. I wasn't paying attention. That wasn't part of my process. Maybe until somewhere in college. Seems like college is a time that people think about that and they talk about it, at least at a Christian university where I went. And thinking about God's will, it's like everything, you know. Well, should I have toast or should I have a bagel, you know? Hamburger or a salad, what's God's will? And you realize pretty quickly, like, that's just, that's just exhausting, and then you kind of you put that aside and just say, well, I, I won't worry about it for those things, but I'll, I'll worry about it on those big decisions when they come my way. But what is, the, what is the right way for us as Christians? As we consider our lives, as we line ourselves up with God and His will, how do we make these kinds of decisions? So one of them is like, what, what is God's will? We talk about it with, you know, in our own lives, like everybody has a will. Some people have a strong will. Some are a little more compliant, right? It's that if, if someone with a strong will, it's if, if they had all the power and the authority, this is what they would do. This is how they would determine to live their lives. 
When it comes to God, He does have all the power, all the authority. He's supreme. He's sovereign. And so what does He do? How does He determine to to, uh, operate this world and even our lives a part of that? There's different verses. There's, it's hard if you look up, if you kind of just do a search and do God's will, you, you see a lot of verses like, uh, you know, the, the other kind of use of will, like uh, we will go here tomorrow. So it's kind of hard, but, but there's so many scriptures that talk about God's will, what he desires to happen, what pleases him, what glorifies him, what is he accomplishing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, God is the one who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. It's everything and anything that happens is done according to his will. Jesus taught us to pray that way. He says, pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is being done in heaven. We want to see that here happening on earth as well. So this is really the answer to many of our questions. It's God's will. Why did Adam sin? It's God's will. Why did Jesus die on the cross? It's God's will. Why are you and I saved? Why do we have salvation? It's God's will. Why are the Cowboys not in the Super Bowl? It's God's will. Or we just got to go with it, you know? Just what is it? It's, it's the answer to many things, but it's not always that satisfying. Right? You can only say that so many times, and then you're like, I want more. But we as, as Christians, we, we wise, it's part of our maturity that we think about his will as we, as we lead our lives. That's what James tells us in, in chapter 4 of his book. He says, you guys talk about going here and there and doing this and that, but you got to consider if it's the Lord's will. He says, if the Lord wills it, then I will go here, then we will do that. As part of us as maturing as followers, we, we're to know his will. That's for the good times, but it's also for the hard times. Right in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. What, what he's saying is there's sometimes it's God's will that we struggle, that we're in a struggling situation. Whether it's a, a terrible job or an unfortunate family situation. Or feeling just this oppressive loneliness. There are times where it's God's will for us to sit there. And that's the hard thing. It's great to take his will when things are going well. It's hard when we struggle. But it comes down to do we trust God with our lives? Do we trust that he knows what he's doing? That he's caring for this world? He's caring for us. The God that knows our name, that knows all about us. Are we in God's will? Can we trust him? Can we walk alongside of him? And can we lean on him when we make these tough decisions? We're in the book of Acts. We just started the series last week uh, talking about the ends of the earth. And last week, we, I wasn't here, but my brother-in-law, Dr. Alan Holtberg, started our series and talking about... Uh, the, the, the beginning of this book, that it, it starts with the Spirit. It starts with Jesus introducing the Holy Spirit, putting the disciples, the apostles now, on a mission to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
says you are not just to stay here in Jerusalem or stay in the temple like you did before. Now you are to go move, take this gospel message, but you're not going to do it alone. You're going to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we read this book of Acts, well, that's the thing that we'll see again and again. How God is moving, what God is doing, and how he's participating with us, how we get to participate with him in this mission of taking the gospel to the world. Today, as we look at chapter 1, verse 12 to 26 that Carla read for us, we see that the disciples are, are in an interesting place. They are waiting they are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. But as they wait, they have this decision to make. What do they do with Judas? Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He was chosen. He was picked out by Jesus. He was the one taking care of the money. But right there at the very end, he was the one that betrayed Jesus. He sold him out. Took some coins in order to betray Jesus. And, and we have to sit with the reality of this. This was a tough thing for the disciples to figure out. They liked him. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, nobody looked at Judas. They didn't think he, that he would betray them. Even when Jesus says, go do what you need to do, they, didn't, they weren't thinking about that. They thought that he was just going to go uh, take care of the, the homeless or give some, some money away to those in need. Not that he would betray Jesus, but they had a decision to make. What, one, what do they do with Judas? But then do they replace him? And if so, with who? And so when we're going to look at the story a little bit in depth, and, and it, the thing is, it does, talk, it does teach us a little bit about how we make decisions. When we're in a tough situation, we need to make a decision. What maybe are some of the steps we can go through? We're going to see that. But what I really want you to see, though, is that that God is still moving. God is moving things forward. But he's using the people. And they're going to be interacting with him. And it really comes down to trust. Not so much like, what is God's will for my life? But how do I trust him? How do I walk with him? How do I stay in alignment with him? And that's really what I think I, I want us to, to see. How do we, as followers of Jesus, walk with him? Stay with him to hear the Spirit work so that when we have decisions to make, we can move forward. We know how to bring those before the Lord, how to walk with Him, and how, how to, to make good decisions. So that's what I, I want us to, to hear. But how we walk and stay in alignment with Jesus. Let's look at this passage and see what we can find. The first thing, the first step when discerning God's will is we seek God's presence. We seek God's presence. Here are the disciples. They're gathered. Where are they? The first things first, he says, where are they? They say in there, they're in the room upstairs or in the upper room. Okay, did you hear that one when we saw that? That's important. That's really important. Why is that important? Think, when you think the upper room, what comes to mind? A lot of us, we think about Jesus just before this, right? Jesus, on his last night when he was with the disciples, he where was he? They were in the upper room. What did he do? He washed the disciples' feet. He, he, they, they celebrated the Last Supper, and he said, this is what I want you to do as you move forward. Every time you, you gather, remember me with this meal. That happened in the upper room, but that's not all. 
There were other things. If you go back in your Old Testament, way back, you see that amazing things happened in the upper room. First, when Israel was enslaved during the time of the judges, it was a guy named Ehud that went in the upper room that killed the king to give Israel their freedom. That happened in the upper room. But more significant, Elijah, when he was ministering there, he was with a widow. Her son died, and and Elijah went into the where? The upper room, prayed, and that boy came back to life in the upper room. There were other things that happened throughout the Old Testament, but then you you have Jesus in the upper room. They have these guys in the upper room. And later on, you're going to have Peter. He brings somebody back to life. Where? In the upper room. Paul does the same thing. So when you hear they're in the upper room, you should get excited because good things happen in the upper room. That's where they are. Who's there? The disciples. Now, just 11 of them. Luke names them off, the 11 disciples, but they're not alone. Several women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. His father's not there. We think that his tradition, that his his dad had passed away. So there Mary is. But she's also uh, with her boys, Jesus' brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. That's fascinating because they weren't really like vibing with Jesus when he was doing his ministry. When he he was a rabbi walking around with his disciples, they were not really uh, loving that. They kind of pushed back on him. But now, Jesus had died and resurrected, and now they were all in. And so they're together with them in the upper room. And what are they doing? Verse 14 says, they all join together consistently in prayer. There they are. They're together, but they're praying. They're seeking God's will, and it begins with worship. They're worshiping him. No doubt, singing songs, praising Him, glorifying Him, delighting in Him, finding their pleasure in Him. Like John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And that's what they were doing. They are finding their satisfaction in Him. They're united. They were all together. The disciples, the ladies, the brothers, They were praying, not just one prayer, but consistently in prayer. It wasn't they were just playing games like Happy Salmon, and then they said, hey, Thomas, why don't you close us out with a prayer before we go? No, this is why they were here, united, praying, saying we we are waiting for the Spirit. We're praying to the Lord that we will be ready. We will receive it. We'll recognize Him when He comes. They were worshiping. And so many times we think about, ah, what's God's will for my life? What does he want? And we just kind of want this magical answer. But we see right here at the very beginning, before anything happens, they're devoted to worship. They're devoted to prayer. And so I would say for any of us that are thinking, okay, I have decisions to make or I'm asking for what God's will is in my life, this is where we start. We start with worship. We start with prayer. Corporate, a lot of people together. Lifting up these requests, praying for one another, enjoying the presence of God. And it makes sense, right? How how do we hear his voice if we're not listening? How do we hear his voice if we're not sitting with him? How do we hear his voice if we're not paying attention? And here they were. They were paying attention, listening for his voice, aligning themselves, aligning their wills to his. That's the first thing that we need to do. And so many times we get so busy with life, right? We all can probably raise our hand with us that we forget this, 
We forget to take the time to pray. But this is the essential. This is where it begins in discerning His will, starting with prayer. Second, what do we see? When discerning God's will, we search the Scriptures for guidance. Right? This is His revealed will. This is what God has given us. All that we need to know about Him, about what He has declared, how we, uh, from, from creation to salvation through Jesus to the kingdom of God that will come again, that's His determined will. That's in here. But it's His revealed will. It's revealing Him to us. It's saying, here's what I need you to know about me, who I am, a holy God, a consuming fire, a merciful, faithful God, all those things. That's what he has revealed. It comes in our scriptures. But it also reveals how we are to, to respond to him, how we are to live as holy and righteous, faithful. All that's revealed in the scriptures. So isn't that important? That we know, that we sit, and we understand the scriptures that God has revealed to us. And this is what Peter does. As he is going to start to make the, you know, start this process of like, what do we do with Judas? It starts with the scriptures. Verse 15, he says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So, good-sized group. He said, brothers and sisters, the Scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number. He shared in our ministry. He's saying, when we think about Judas, we've got to look back in the Scriptures because David, King David, long ago, wrote about Judas, our friend. It's revealed here in the Scriptures. In verse 18, Luke kind of gives some commentary on what happened to him, right? How he took his life in this field, this desolate field. Look at verse 20. It says, For, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. I don't want us to pass by this. Peter is saying, Here, what do we do with Judas? And he's saying, we found it in the Scriptures. God revealed this in the Scriptures. So we know what we need to do. That Judas, who betrayed Jesus for cash, got this little field. He betrayed the king. God Almighty, he betrayed him for a field, for money. And through the guilt, took his life because of that. But Peter, now when he's reading the scriptures, he's reading it in a new way. Remember, like after Jesus resurrected from, uh, from the dead, he, he was with his disciples. And one of the things that he did that we're told in Luke uh, and in John, that he, he taught the disciples about himself in the scriptures. That means in the Old Testament. He's opening the Old Testament, saying, you got to understand that every, every word in here, every scripture, it, it, they, they whisper my name. They talk about me. And so when Peter is reading the Psalms, he's, the light bulbs are coming on. He's like, this isn't just about David. It's about Jesus. This isn't just about David's enemies. It's about Judas. So look at Psalm uh, 69. 
Psalm 69, that's the first one that he, he mentioned. If, if you go back in that psalm, there's a, a line in there that Jesus used about himself. It was about David, but Jesus used it twice about himself. He says, zeal for his house will consume him. Remember, David was preparing for the temple, and he was just obsessed with this. He was consumed with it. Consumed, zeal for his house. And when Jesus came, he says, that's me. I have that same zeal for my, my God's house. So Peter is kind of connecting like that was true with, uh, uh, yeah, Peter's connecting that was true with David, it's true with Jesus. But then in the Psalm 69, David starts talking about his enemies. And that's when his light bulb comes on. He's like, that was true about David and his enemies. It's true about Jesus and his enemy. His enemy is Judas. Look at what he says. I'll read some of it. Verse 22. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs bent forever. Ooh. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. Here's the one he references. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Listen, charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. That's, that's big. What do we do with Judas? And he's reading this. And his, I can just imagine his jaw just dropping like, oh. And how, how he, that must have touched him. Judas betrayed Jesus, but what did Peter do? He denied him three times. And all the other apostles, all the other disciples, they ran away. None of them came out good. The difference is Peter and the other disciples were restored. They experienced that forgiveness. But he's reading about Judas and he's like, no. He didn't let his name be blotted out of the book of life not listed among the righteous. That's why later on in verse 26 where he says, uh, Judas went to where he belongs. Because he's reading that in Scripture. He's seen what God is speaking. Uh, again, he, he speaks another from another passage in Psalm 109 verse 8. This is David writing about his enemies and, and how he describes his enemies. His enemies speak lies. You give them love in return, they hate you. And they accuse you. And in verse 8, it says, Let his days be few. Let another take over his position. So when he's reading about the enemies, he stops there. He says, Let another person take over his position. Reading the revealed word of God, he's seen the answers to his questions being answered right there. That Judas is not to be accounted among the righteous. That he is, his position is to be given to another but as he's reading, like, all of this stuff is coming clear. That his answers on, on Judas's heart are being opened and, and being shown to him. And in some ways, I, as I reflect on this, I, we're a lot more like Judas than we think. Right? We're a lot more like him than we think. I mean, how, how often are we willing to just, you know, in favor and... In favor of money, we, we betray our king. In order to get some, a little field of our own, we ignore him or we betray him. The field that should be 
deserted and desolate, but doesn't give anything back. There's a quote by David Golding in his book, True to the Faith. It's a long quote, but, and it's kind of comprehensive, but I think it's important as it kind of shows the heart of Judas, but it shows the heart of us as well. It says this, Here is the root of the world's troubles. Here's the root of the world's troubles. The world, the universe, has a personal owner. Mankind are but tenants and stewards. But people are not content to be tenants. They live as though the landlord had no right to expect any news of love, obedience, devotion, and service from them. They live as if there were no owner. Worse still, they aspire to being, each one of them, owners of their own right. They have no love for the owner's son, for whom, in fact, the universe was made, whom was the great agent of its creation, is the maintainer of its present stability, and is its redeemer and eventual restorer. As long as he keeps his distance, of course, the world doesn't mind him. They can even affect a reasonable amount of religion. But let them approach, insist on his ownership, and demand his dues, then the resistance starts. People have got used to living as though they own their own lives. They denounce its demands as absolutism. They fight for their independence, if need be, at the cost of rejecting the Son of God outright. This human nature, and I think these are the things that Peter was gaining as he read the Scriptures. And we see that. We see that in, in the New Testament as we read. We see God's revealed word. He, he talks about how we are to live. We are to live under the kingship of God, under his authority. I, I, he used the word owner and tenant. I would use king and citizens. That God is the king. He's created all this. And he's invited us to live in his kingdom, but we want to live on our own. We want to have our own kingdoms. And we don't mind him as long as he lets us have power, have our will. But once he starts saying, no, you need to follow my will, that's when we reject him. That's when we fight back. Said, I want my field. But that amounts to nothing. Because our fields are just fields of blood. Like this one for Judas. But instead, we want to live in a fruitful, thriving, flourishing garden. But that comes under God's authority. The Scriptures, the New Testament, talk about the will of God all through here. There's too many Scriptures to mention. But just maybe a couple of them. But Colossians 1, 19, or 9 and 14, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We consistently ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. He keeps going, but you get the point. So we're praying for God's will to be done, that you would live in the Spirit, that you would delight in Him, you would do good work, you'd grow in love, you'd grow stronger in your faith, you'd become patient, you'd love one another. God's will for us. Paul says it maybe a little bit more in the negative other places too, in Ephesians 5, 17 to 20. He says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So, well, don't be dim-witted. 
All right, don't ignore this. Understand what God's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Don't do that. Don't get drunk on all this, which leads to debauchery and uh, sexual immorality. Don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak into one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is God's will? Not to live according to the flesh in the world, but to live in the Spirit and to delight in Him, to rejoice, to thank Him for what? Everything. To thank Him for everything. That's God's will. So many other scriptures. I'll leave that up to you to, to study. But when we think about why we're here, we are here to bring glory to God. We're here to rejoice, to know Him and to, to love Him. We're here to take His, His message to the world, to tell people about Him. Same thing that Jesus told the disciples. Take this message to the world. We get to do to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. Living according to His will. So when we're making decisions, when we're looking at life, starting with prayer, saying, I just want to enjoy you. Then looking to the Scriptures, how do you want me to live, Lord? How do I follow you? How do I enjoy you? How do I make much of you? And how do I not live according to the flesh in the world, but live according to you? And that will help us in a lot of ways. It won't answer everything. I'm not going to answer all the questions because this is God's revealed will. There's still some things that he hasn't told us that are not in here. This book tells us a lot about God and about us, but it doesn't tell us everything about him, right? Obviously, there's so much more that's not contained in here. We have so many questions so then it comes down to his secret will his is revealed will but what is his secret will what are the things that he hasn't shown us that we won't know maybe until eternity if ever but also what does he tell you about your life funny enough my name is in the bible ethan is in here a couple times i'm a symbol player <laughs> i claim the symbols i think i wrote a psalm in here too uh, so if I'm looking at my life, what am I supposed to do? If I look just that, I would say, oh, i got to play the cymbals. I don't, I don't think the cymbals play very well. Not too many people have a career playing the cymbals. Some might. But what about you? Is your name in there? There's no place in here that says, hey, uh, you want to know about yourself. If your last name starts with an R, you're supposed to be a dentist. Right? If your last name starts with a K, you're to be a teacher. It's, that would be great if it did that, but it doesn't it doesn't work that way. So how do we know what God wants for us to do? Interestingly enough, we see, we see here in these next few verses. When discerning God's will, we trust in God's sovereignty. We're going to trust in His God in sovereignty, that He's going to share that with us. Uh, seek wisdom, make a plan, and go for it. Right? This is all about discernment. How do we discern what God is doing? It's easy to discern between what is right and what is wrong. Right? That's very easy. If you were to say, 
hey, pastor, I'm, I'm trying to decide, should I teach children in the, city, in, the, in the inner city or should I work for the drug cartel? You know, I'd say, that's easy. I don't have to pray about it. Work with the children. Don't do that. That's against God's will. But that's not most of our decisions in life, right? Most of our decisions, like Spurgeon say, are between good and better. Right? The, the good and the best. So how do we discern that? We have the Holy Spirit. Read this as he continues, verse 21. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was among us. So he's talking about Judas, and he says, it's necessary that we replace them, right? He got that through the Scriptures. Got that from Psalm 108. Good. Psalm 109, sorry. But then he says, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us, for one of these men must be a witness of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. The lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Right. Um, what stands out is interesting in there. What stands out is different in there. They're talking about decisions. And they went through this whole process. They prayed. They read the scriptures. They discussed what to do. They prayed again, and then what did they do? They cast lots. They cast lots to make the decision. What is casting lots? It would be similar to like flipping a coin. They flipped the coin. So some of you might say, hey, pastor, here's, here's what I'm hearing you say. We have tough decisions to make. We pray about it. We read the scriptures. We, we pray about it some more. And in the end, we flip a coin. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> because we just voted on elders recently. We just voted on a budget and amending the Constitution. We didn't flip a coin. But they did. They said they cast lots. The lot fell to Matthias. But here's what they did. They did their homework. They, they figured out as much as they could through Scripture. And then they said, all right, now let's just let's use our wisdom. They said, we need to replace him. But who? Scripture didn't tell us who. So who's it going to be? Peter said, Let's, it makes sense that it's somebody who was a witness of Jesus' whole ministry. That he was with him. He saw the baptism. He was with him through his ministry. He saw his death, his resurrection, his ascension. If we're going to be witnesses to the resurrection, it needs to be somebody who knew Jesus and saw him. That wasn't in Scripture. That just makes sense. So he gathered his information. And then they said, who is it? Who fits this category? And it came down to two people. This guy named Joseph, which you know is not going to get it. He has three names, way high maintenance. Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, a little extra uh, for what they're looking for. And then Matthias. I could tell you who's going to get it. But, but they prayed. They did their homework. They gathered their information. And then they prayed again. And here's why. It says, remember they prayed. What was their prayer? You know the heart better than we do. So choose the person that you want. It reminds me of, remember Samuel and he was looking for King David to anoint him? If it was up to him, he would have picked the oldest brother. He's tall, handsome, looks like a king. Let's do it. And that's where God said, but you don't know the heart like I do. They thought they knew Judas. They thought they knew his heart, but they were wrong. And so they come and they pray, Lord, you, you know the heart better than us. 
we're not going to look, you know, on the, we can look on the exterior, we can look at the facts, but you know the heart. And so select this. And they, they, they cast a lot, it fell to Matthias. So you're saying, should we flip coins more often to make decisions? Um, you can, but I would recommend not. And here's why. Here's why. This is the last time in the New Testament that we see anybody casting a lot. Anybody flipping a coin. It's the last time. We don't see it after this. Why? You know what happens just a couple days later. Next week, come back, chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes, fills them, indwells them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. So they had, they had coins. It's like, we're going to trust in your sovereignty. And God, it didn't go wrong. It was right for them at that time. But you don't have to flip coins. Because you, if you are following Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. John 16 tells us, what well, he says, when the Spirit comes, he's going to be your guide, guiding you to the truth. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. It's not just a, a matter of flipping a coin. Now it's almost harder discerning the Spirit. How do I hear the Spirit? Well, that goes back to the beginning. Get out of our noise. Get out of our busy uh, lives that, that fill every minute the noise that's around us. Get on your knees and pray. Gather together your friends, your loved ones. Pray consistently. Seek God's word. What does he say? How does he reveal? What kind of heart do we need to have? And then we trust his sovereignty. We say, Lord, Spirit, speak to me. Give me peace or unsettle me. Open doors or shut doors. He's going to speak to you different ways. But that's the, the beauty of walking with Jesus. We get, we get his spirit and we get to rely on him. But this is where it's tricky, and I'll end with this. This is where I'm tricky, where it's tricky because um, it's not always going to be the exact same for all of us. If we're really living by the spirit and we're asking the spirit to speak, he's going to speak. And what might be right for me might not be right for you. It's still according to his will, but it might be different. So I know some of us were looking, you're looking at schools for your kids, and you're like, should we go to a, a, should we go to a home school? Should they go to a Christian school? Should they go to a, a, a Lutheran school, a Catholic school, or private school? Well, that's something that you, it's not in Scripture. It doesn't tell us. Therefore, all kids should go to whatever school. But it's you with a spirit praying, saying, what is right for us? What fits our life? What's, what's right for us? How do we glorify God in that? And let's not judge others if they come up with a different decision, right? Some of you going to college, maybe you, you, for you it's a Christian college, maybe it's a public college, maybe it's a state college. It just, bring it before the Lord. Pray, seek wisdom, gather all your information, do your homework, and trust Him and go forward. That's how we live in alignment with the Spirit. That's how we live according to the will of God. Amen?